Hi, welcome to a VJ Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access multimedia channel that brings you the latest research updates in hematological oncology. Today, we will be discussing some of the key updates from the virtual ASH 2020 meeting in the fast moving CLL treatment field. These include MRD outcomes following targeted therapy, as well as results of the Bruin trial and an analysis of venetoclax retreatment. Starting us off, Nitin Jane of the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center discusses the latest results from a phase two trial of abrutinib and venetoclax combination therapy, looking at MRD status in CLL patients. So at the ASH meeting, uh, we reported updated data of our clinical trial with the Bruton plus venetoclax for frontline therapy for high-risk patients with CLL. Uh, previously, we had reported this uh, work uh, in a publication in New England Journal last year. Now we have reported updated data with a median follow-up of 36.3 months. So we have enrolled 80 patients in this study, in this cohort. Um, these were high-risk frontline patients requiring treatment. Uh, high risk was defined as uh, patients with deletion 17P, DP53 mutation, deletion 11Q, unmutated V-gene, or patients above 65 years of age without these high risk features were allowed, but that constituted only 8% of the entire cohort. So these patients uh, received ibrutinib for three months, uh, followed by addition of nidoclax, uh, and the combination was planned to be given for a total of two years. What we saw on an intent to treat analysis is that that one year mark 56% of the patients were MRE negative in the bone marrow with a sensitivity of 10 to power minus four. That number improved to 66% at two years. And if you look at the best response, 75% of the patients at any time during the study achieved bone marrow MRE negativity with a sensitivity of 10 to power minus four. We also provided progression-free survival curves and over survival curve with a median follow-up of more than three years. And both those were uh, approximately close to 95% at three year mark. So overall, uh, the study data continues to show that uh, there is durable remission achieved in these patients. And now we are monitoring these patients. Uh, majority of these patients have completed two years of therapy. We are now monitoring these patients off therapy, serially for MRD recurrence and for disease progression. Secondly, Anthony Mato from the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center of New York shares findings from the Bruin trial of LOXO305 in patients with B-cell malignancies. So the Bruin study is a phase 1-2 study of the non-covalent BTK inhibitor LOXO305. And last year at the ASH meeting, we presented the earliest, earliest data as an oral presentation for this molecule in patients with relapse refractory CLL and other lymphomas, just a small number of patients. But what got everybody's attention was how active this molecule was in a heavily pretreated patient population, many of whom had resistance mutations to covalent BTK inhibitors, uh, such as ibrutinib or acalabrutinib. This year at the meeting, we're presenting a much larger, more robust data set uh, in greater than 300 patients who either have had CLL, mantle cell lymphoma, or other B-cell malignancies. And the take-home from the molecule was a couple of different, couple of different things. Number one, incredibly well-tolerated. Um, in the presentation, you'll see the AE table looks unusually empty, and that's because of the fact that there were only um, three adverse events in total that occurred in more than 10% of patients when looking at all grades and all causality. And then digging a little deeper into adverse events of special interest, the typical BTK-associated adverse events like atrial fibrillation, bleeding, arthralgias, 
um, and others are extremely rare. AFib occurred in less than 1% of patients and grade three um, hemorrhage, for example, the serious bleeding occurred in less than 1% of patients. So it was very well tolerated molecule. In terms of efficacy, even more impressive, we saw a high overall response rate that appeared to deepen significantly with time. So the, the follow-up is relatively short on the study, but for the numbers of patients who've been followed for like six or eight or 10 months, we saw response rates that exceeded 70%, particularly in patients with CLL. And then of course, response is one thing, but whether responses are durable are another, and we'll present, we'll present the swimmer plot that shows that nearly every patient with CLL um, who's responding continues on the molecule and that responses do appear to be quite durable. Uh, the same is true in the waterfall plot that we present, where we can see very deep nodal, very high proportion of patients having deep nodal reductions. And so overall, the molecule does appear to be safe, well-tolerated in patient population that have had between three and four median prior therapies. And then Michael Wang is presenting data on mantle cell lymphoma, which pretty much corresponds to the data that I've mentioned on CLL high overall response rate in a patient population for where there is really no standard of care available. And so we're all excited about this molecule. It's a phase one, two study, so still um, early in the process of its development. But um, I can tell you personally, having taken care of in excess of 50 patients on the trial, that um, it has really made a difference to my, difference to my patients individually many of whom didn't have options, were progressing, were sick, some of whom even thinking about hospice and have really responded and come back very nicely to do very well. So an exciting presentation and we're looking forward to uh, next steps on the study, expanding the, the population further and starting to look at the molecule in combination. Finally, Megan Thompson of the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York discusses the results of a retrospective study of venetoclax free treatment in CLL and what this could mean for patients in the future. We presented some data that we collected on a retrospective study of patients um, and data was collected from 13 um, academic centers as well as the core CLL database. Um, and we were able to identify 25 patients who had uh, received venetoclax in a prior line of therapy and then were retreated with venetoclax as a, as a later line of therapy. Now, the motivation behind this study really is that venetoclax-based regimen are now standard of care in the frontline setting based on the CLL14 data and then in the relapse refractory setting based on the Murano data. Both of these schedules are fixed duration. Um, and so as these um, regimens are inc increasingly used in clinical practice, a question that is gonna face uh, physicians is, you know, what, uh, can, what therapies can patients um, receive after venetoclax? And say you have a patient who uh, received a fixed duration venetoclax therapy, for example, um, venetoclax obinutuzumab um, in the frontline setting and had a, had a good response to therapy, but then later on progresses, is it an acceptable treatment option to use a venetoclax-based therapy again in a later line of therapy? So this is an important unanswered question. Um, there were a couple of cases before, um, you know, we started this project in the literature 
we were able to identify 25 patients who were retreated with venetoclax. Um, the reason for discontinuation of the first line of venetoclax therapy varied from completion of planned therapy um, to discontinuation for toxicity, a very small number of patients cost, and then some um, MD patient preference. Um, and we were able to collect um, response rates to the first line of venetoclax therapy. The response rate was quite high, um, uh, reaching in the high 80% range. And then we looked at um, patients who received venetoclax again. Patients who received venetoclax again um, were heavily pretreated. So median prior number of therapies was two, and notably 60% of patients had prior BTK therapy. Um, and reason, the most common reason for retreatment was CLL progression. And we found um, that we had 18 patients who had um, a valuable response assessment at the time of data cutoff. Um, and we found a very high overall response rate of 72.2%. Um, which suggests that this strategy should be investigated and that needs to be validated prospectively, um, but that retreatment might be a viable option for these patients. Um, one of the interesting uh, things we were also able to collect is safety data of this strategy. So there's, because this, there's little data on this, we don't know, you know, do our clinicians who are doing this in, in clinical practice, there's no, no uh, really label to guide this per se, do they do the traditional venetoclax dose ramp up or um, do they um, restart at, at, you know, dose of 400 milligrams? So most people, the overwhelming majority of clinicians did do the standard um, dose escalation ramp up and TLS was very uh, rare. There was laboratory TLS only, um, only in 4.5% of patients. And so it was reassuring to see that's a little bit of safety data that this was also a safe strategy. Um, so I think, you know, overall, um, and then there was another uh, abstract at this uh, ASH meeting um, to touch on um, related uh, follow-up of the Murano study um, that also looked at patients who had been treated with venetoclax and rituximab um, on the Murano study and needed subsequent therapies. Um, they did identify um, the same number of evaluable patients as our abstract, uh, 18 patients, and they had the same overall response rate of 72.2% to venetoclax retreatment. So now we have a little bit more data in the space. Um, venetoclax retreatment certainly needs to be uh, prospectively validated, um, but I think that this uh, data we presented along with the data from the uh, Murano follow-up um, offers um, a window that this strategy should be uh, further investigated. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. Follow us on Twitter at VJHimonk and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with us. If you enjoyed, make sure to visit vjhumonk.com for the latest updates from the experts themselves, as well as more exclusive CLL coverage. Be sure to subscribe to VJ Humonk podcasts, which are available on Spotify, Apple and Podbean.